Right on radio. Right on radio. Again, I thank you for this opportunity. And again, my conjecture is and remains JFK was not assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. What was proven on November 22nd, 1963 at that time was the legal definition of conspiracy, the attempt to assassinate the president of the United States of America. This is now part six of this multi-part series. As I prepared this PowerPoint called President John F. Kennedy Assassination Attempt, November 22nd, 1963, to assist with this further deep dive, including applicable visual, photo, video clips to accompany my remarks even deeper than my previous remarks. Ready to continue? And again, as we proceed, I want to hear your and your audience's questions, comments, aha moments along the way to make sure I've already addressed the question later in the series and to pulse where you are as well, particularly your aha moments, okay? Oh, it's going to be very interesting, all the twists, turns, and where we end up. Surprises and aha moments all along the way. So we will now go to part six of the PowerPoint to continue our journey. Okay, so now for this part, I have no doubt you and your audience will be stunned where we end up, this link that we make. However, in order to get there, we first need to go back, back to pertinent documentary clips previously shown and discussed during part three. And now things are going to get even more interesting. So I'm going to replace some segments from Oliver Stone's November 2021st, JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass, starting with this segment. I'm going to be playing it from 134.53 to 134.135.10. Sorry about that. Again, we will play this one from 134.53. Very alarming. He tells he the tells country about President Kennedy that I'm not, I'm not in full control of my, of my entire, entire government. government. I'm not, I'm not in, control in control of the CIA, CIA and, I and I can't speak, speak for what's happening there. That's, That's a stunning, stunning admission for, for a, a US, US president to make. Okay, so this is for the timeline. In April of 1961 timeframe, President Kennedy supposedly told the French ambassador, quote, 
I'm not in full control of my entire government. I'm not in control of the CIA. When was JFK sworn in as the President of the United States? January 20th, 1961. And just months later, April 1961, this discussion supposedly made. So next, I will continue playing on from 135.11 to 137.45. It's regarding JFK and the very relative, relative relevant context to Africa, the past, but with significant impact to this day and still to this day. In 1960, the Congo had been granted its independence from Belgian colonial rule and carried out a democratic election. In the disorder of the transition, the Belgians, backed by England and France, sought to eliminate its charismatic Prime Minister, Patrice Lumumba. Eisenhower and CIA Director Alan Dulles favored the European nation in this colonial conflict. Eisenhower gave the go-ahead to have Lumumba assassinated. Kennedy never knew this. He gets elected the following November of 1960, and he heads in the opposite direction. To those new states whom we welcome to the ranks of the free, we pledge our word that one form of colonial control shall not have passed away, merely to be replaced by a far more iron tyranny. But events are already in motion. With the backing of British and U.S. intelligence and arms, Colonel Joseph Mobutu's forces captured President Lumumba at the beginning of December 1960. Doug Hammarskjöld, U.S. Secretary General, calls JFK, who's the president-elect at this point, and asks him to intercede to get Lumumba released from prison. When Kennedy intervenes to save Lumumba, that's a signal directly to the CIA that they have to dispatch this guy immediately. And so 48 hours before Kennedy takes the oath of office, Lumumba is delivered into the hands of his enemies. He's taken out and shot in the head. Kennedy doesn't know this until a month later. Who finally tells him? The CIA? No, they still keep it a secret. He's informed by his UN ambassador, Adelaide Stevenson. His face crumples. He's holding his hand. He's grimacing in anguish, hearing about the assassination of Patrice Lumumba. Within a very short period of time after the assassination, Hammarskjöld died in a mysterious plane crash. The photographs show his body as the only one not burned or charred. And he had a playing card, reportedly the ace of spades, stuffed into his shirt collar above the knot of the tie. There are controversial documents that indicate Alan Dulles was involved in the sabotage of the plane. Were you aware of any of this? The ace of spades. Right above the necktie. And now I'll show again from 129, 45. to 
15. I never realized Kennedy was so dangerous to the establishment. Is that why? Well, that's a real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the mafia keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game, prevents them from asking the most important question, why? Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? That's actually a scene clip from Oliver Stone's 1991 JFK. And the conversation is with Jim Garrison, the district attorney of Orleans Parish, Louisiana, during his investigations into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Again, to highlight and your audience to keep in mind, quote, is that why? Now that's a real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Prevents from asking the most important question, why? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Who? Okay, so now I'll give my personal linkage to JFK via Ted Sorensen through my meeting his sister Ruth while serving at Embassy Yaoundé, Cameroon, 1993 to 1995, to Senator Ted Kennedy, who I knew and met while on an APSA Congressional Fellowship, 2005 to 2006, and even to JFK Jr. via and due to the August 7, 1998 East Africa Embassy bombings and the same long wedding weekend of August 7 through 9, 1998, he, JFK Jr., attended as documented by the August 10, 1998 Washington Post article by William Drozdiak called the ultimate joint statement. I want to focus on that aspect. Also realizing with such things as this, and as I've described previously, just like pulling the proverbial right string in an audit, the entire sweater unravels. Once you have the camel's nose under the tent, when by this small, seemingly innocuous detail, opens the door to the larger, and in this case, the much larger, clearly nefarious acts being exposed, connecting the dots, the right dots, of what I call the one long continuum. Okay. So fast forward, just recently in July, on July 13, 2022, to be exact, I became aware of and watched the entire documentary called Cold Case Hammerschold. And to understand, and this is 2019, 
to understand and see how all the pieces together all fit together, I highly recommend you and your audience do the same as well, particularly to pick up these pieces of the puzzle. This documentary was made by Danish director Mads Bruger and Swedish private investigator Gorn uh, Jordal. This documentary tries to solve the mysterious death of Dag Hammarskjöld, the UN Secretary General. Over the course of their investigation, they discover a crime with even further reaching consequences. It's incredible the links made. Kennedy, Dag Hammarskjöld's plane crash death, September 18, 1961, August 1998, August 7, 1998. So many linkages, past to present and current day, including potentially Fauci himself. HIV, AIDS, COVID, and wow, again, the CIA, British, Germans, but wait, there's even more. Again, realizing what such things as this, and as I've described previously, just like pulling the proverbial right string in an audit, the entire sweater unravels. Once you have the camel's nose under the tent, this seeming, small, seemingly innocuous detail opens the door for the larger, clearly nefarious acts. And once again, the players, the exact same players involved being exposed. And look at this, yet another event that I would like to share. and that I just recently came across. Soon after watching this Cold Case Hammerschold 2019 documentary, I came across this, the recently released 2022 Netflix four episode series. Are you ready for this? Netflix DB Cooper, where are you? Regarding the 1971, 1971, a skyjacker parachutes off a plane with a bag of stolen cash and gets away with it. Decades later, his identity remains a compelling mystery. So I'm like, this is interesting. So as I was watching it for the first time, I was like, wait a minute, what was the date? November 24th, 1971. Wait a minute, that date fits. It fits in the timeline of events I previously remarked on regarding JFK through RFK through Watergate. It fits in the timeline of events. So this was before Watergate break-in and after JFRFK's staged assassination of June 6, 1968. Oh my goodness, just like JFK Black Operation for his being saved, protected during the November 22, 1963 assassination attempt, D.B. Cooper was a Black Operation in regards to affiliated with what I'm referring to as phase two 
in regards to getting justice regarding the only real murder assassination that took place in Dallas, Texas on November 22nd, 1963, during the legal definition of conspiracy to assassinate the President of the United States. And that was the murder assassination of Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett. My conjecture, D.B. Cooper, this too was a related black operation. So the second time I'm watching this series, I was looking for more specific clues. And once you cleared out all of what I call the noise, you can see it. First of all, I found the lawyer, Mark Zayed, who I personally contacted regarding my own case, my own situation, and he did nothing to assist me. Being front and center of this Netflix documentary, interesting. Very interesting, as a matter of fact. Then, Jonah Mendez's involvement. Given my previous remarks regarding her in rela relations to her being one of the so-called, quote, 51 intelligence experts that came out with a public statement before the 2020 election regarding Hunter Biden, laptop being Russian disinformation. And again, Linkages to my own case, my own situation, very interesting. Okay, this is becoming more than just a coincidence. So as I'm watching, more and more comes to light, but not necessarily what's being focused in on in terms of the objective of this Netflix narrative. I'm picking up puzzle pieces. The date, still not solved to this date by the FBI. The necktie. Just like who? RFK, his necktie. The previous comment and the cold case homicide, the ace of spades, the necktie. And then it hit me. Oh my goodness, wait a minute. How did Parkland Dr. Charles Crenshaw, by the way, Crenshaw, like US Navy SEAL current Congressman from Texas, Dan Crenshaw, right? How did Dr. Charles Crenshaw describe it? Quote, the second wound was here in the front, right above the necktie. End quote. Wait, the use of a plane, just like 1961 Dog Hammarskjöld's plane crash. The money, you know, like later, follow the money. The cover story for what Deep Throat was really about. JFK's deep throat wound, Hoover Dam, the recent 2022 explosion, asked to be flown where? Mexico City, like Oswald. Then even more, even given the task force, task force comprised of, just like the August 7, 1998 East Africa Embassy Bombing Task Force comprised of, that we went over, which was prior to 9-11-2001, this applicable D.B. Cooper task force had retired folks from military, law enforcement, intelligence officers, confirmed usage of military coding even. But that gets to even the name, Cooper. Cooper, you mean like William Cooper? Cooper, like D.B. Cooper, the Canadian connection? Again, like Winston Churchill's OSS CIA, OSS, OSS that was supposedly terminated by Truman, but obviously not. 
President Truman supposedly signed Executive Order 9621 terminating the OSS on September 20th, 1945. But if OSS CIA was always a British Churchill construct, it was not terminated. That was 1945, operational ever since. Wait, so again, when did U.S. President John F. Kennedy, acting under authorization granted by an act of Congress, proclaim Churchill an honorary citizen of the United States? On April 9, 1963. But Churchill was unable to attend the White House ceremony? Huh. So wait a minute. Then Winston Churchill was an actual honorary U.S. citizen. Huh. Then the comic book, Belgium, French, like the Congo, Cooper, like the Congo, Copper, like the Congo. Wait, and where was the 1961 UN Secretary General Dog Hammarskjöld's plane crash? The Congo. Wait, was this like a Mission Impossible moment publicly and openly, quote, accepting the mission? Was this really an open and public money transfer to pay for the mission? The mission being including Watergate and getting justice for murdered Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett and getting additional co-conspirators and actual accomplices to the November 22nd, 1963 JFK assassination attempt? Given the timeline of events, the entities, individuals involved, wait a minute. Parachutes, four parachutes to be exact, just like the four parachutes that were used to lower JFK's bronze coffin into sea on February 18, 1966, off the Maryland-Delaware coast. This falls into the timeline of events. JFK assassination event attempt, USS Liberty attack June 8, 1967, RFK staged assassination, Watergate, with Churchill now deceased, whatever this threat was, it was continuing. Now this 1961 Cold Case Hammershaw documentary linkages and my conjecture regarding JFK assassination attempt by who? It's all there and all the pieces fit without pushing the pieces to fit. They all simply fall into place. D.B. Cooper was a black operation, the op open, overt messaging purpose, the covert black real purpose. And again, no one got hurt as a result of their black operation, just like their JFK black operation. Those guilty of the murder of J.D. Tippett and others will now be brought to justice. This 1971 D.B. Cooper was not what it appeared to be. It's once again an illusion in plain sight, a successful illusion since supposedly still not solved by the FBI still to this day. Hmm, maybe that's why the deception of it being FBI Mark felt as deep throat when it really wasn't. And based on my previous remarks regarding Washington Post, U.S. Navy, Ben Bradley, U.S. Navy, 
Bob Woodward, my conjecture being that the deep throat contact was not FBI Mark Felt, but none other than, and really, RFK, given what deep throat was really referencing, referring to, the JFK Black Operation Secondary Throat Wound. But even more, to have removed Nixon, the President of the United States of America, because of his apparent involvement being at the meeting the night before the November 22nd, 1963 JFK assassination attempt in Dallas, Texas. But by doing so, violating Nixon's due process constitutional rights and prohibiting the American people from being able to hear President Nixon's side of the story, his possibly being set up. Was he set up in and when attending that meeting? My conjecture? Yes, he was. And as I am re and as I remarked in the August 17, 2022 podcast with Christy Tasker of Patriots Perspective, given Trump's pre-scheduled multi-hour Wednesday, August 10, 2022, sworn deposition with the New York Attorney General when he took the Fifth Amendment over 40, 440 times just days after the Mar-a-Lago FBI raid. That FBI raid was not about what Trump had. It's about what Trump knows, particularly in light of and including when President Nixon resigned he supposedly soon after flew to New York to meet with Donald Trump. For those that have not had a chance to listen to Christy and my August 17, 2022 podcast, I highly recommend that you do so. It's on Christy's Patriot Perspective website, the podcast dated Wednesday, August 17, 2022, called What Is the FBI Lie Really About? Really After? It's all interlinked, interconnected. Now, by the time of this D.B. Cooper, November 24th, 1971, the most heavily traveled day, the eve before Thanksgiving even, JFK's Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, was no longer Secretary of Defense. So who was? Melvin Laird. So was he involved? Did he, was he the one to authorize, to approve this black operation, G.B. Cooper, and given Laird's congressional background? So after watching this Netflix series for the second time, I started researching and contacting those individuals identified throughout the series to include the Vortex. And voila, I discovered this. And voila, I discovered this and listened to this accordingly. It's the interview on the Cooper Vortex. 
It's a podbeam.com. D.B. Cooper was Special Forces. Bruce A. Smith, dated October 20th, 2018. Bruce A. Smith is the author of D.B. Cooper and the FBI, a case study of America's only unsolved skyjacking. A must read for any fans of the D.B. Cooper case. And again, though I may not agree totally with all that is stated, this point we do agree on. Again, with my conjecture further substantiated that D.B. Cooper was special forces. This was a black operation. And given the timeline of events and what it was really about, it was indeed a sanctioned black operation that was successful, just as previously given the JFK black operation to save our nation, to protect our president, and to set the trap to catch their intended target. So with that, I'm now going to play from 34 minutes to 42 minutes of this applicable podcast I recently discovered on and regarding D.B. Cooper, as it is all interlinked and interconnected. And I would offer very relevant still to this day. And again, though I do not agree with all the comments made, it is still telling just the same. With the point, the main point, I do agree that D.B. Cooper was special forces. And in my opinion, that this was, this too was actually a sanctioned, success, successful to the mission black operation. And I believe not openly solved until now by me. I will now play from 34 minutes to 42 minutes. Classy's dead. It's hard for me to see the. I think that's close enough. That it's 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 gotta it's gotta be respectful and sacred and and have substance to it. And there's a great hunger for that. And NPR Radio is really leading the charge in that. And there are a number of shows and there are spin-offs from The Moth. And I would say The Moth runs 150 venues and there's got to be an equal number of spin-offs from that. So there's literally hundreds of places for storytellers like me to go and tell personal stories about our families, our lives, growing up, lessons I've learned. Um, and it's part of a resurgence of truthfulness in this country and truth is distorted what is true you know and in the cooper in cooper world we can't even agree on what the facts of the db cooper case are none of them yeah so you know so the craziness the craziness is massive you know so i think what we're seeing is is that we're 
we're looking, we're fine. Kindred spirits are seeking each other out. And so I see overlap between my D.B. Cooper work, my journalism and my storytelling. So the whole thing about D.B. Cooper and me and what I'm doing and how I got into it, it's, it's part of a larger, a larger story. What do you want to know? I want to know everything. Everything. My God. Okay. Well, let me start at the ending. We'll work our way backwards. And I'll tell you who, what I see as the key facts or the overarching themes or compelling information. And I'll start with who I think D.B. Cooper is. I'll work, away, work my way backwards. D.B. Cooper knew more about jumping out of an airplane with a parachute than the pilots, anybody in flight control at Northwest Orient. And the guys actually flying the plane had to be reassured by the CIA. It's like, yeah, you guys are going to be able to fly a 727 with the app stairs down because we do that all the time over here in Vietnam. Well, Cooper even knew the plane could take off with the stairs down. Bingo. Right. Exactly. And they wouldn't even do that. Right. And, and that, that was, was really secret. I don't even know if Boeing knew that. Boeing probably did. But Boeing had already conducted lots of flight tests with the upstairs down because that was a selling point to the military. And those tests took place not too far away at Moses Lake at their special facility out there in the middle of the high desert. And so it is plausible, it is reasonable to assume that D.B. Cooper had covert operation experience. Commando, Special Forces, SEAL Team 6, Delta Force, Green Berets, pick CIA, pick whatever special, you know, group you want. And when you talk to the guys who are in Special Forces and do this kind of work for a living, they're absolutely convinced that D.B. Cooper is one of them. And they got names, you know, and they're convinced. I mean, they're convinced it's got to be Ted Braden. Oh, Ted was crazy. As one guy told me, he says, Ted, Ted had gonads bigger than watermelons, you know. And that's and there's a lot of respect for D.B. Cooper um, in special forces, in the special operations group. There's an organization called MACV SOG that I write about extensively. And they have begun writing about themselves extensively. And Snowman helped me extensively in researching Snowman's capacity to find people, to get information, contact information, email addresses, telephone numbers, physical addresses, and things that were superb. I've, I don't know how many laws were broken by Snowman, if any, but I'm sure he found every back door that is a, that is a back door to whoever's information. Maybe, maybe him and Zuckerberg or, you know, play chess together every Monday afternoon. I don't know. But Snowman's access to information is unparalleled. And he shared it. And my book could not have been written to the extent that it was without Snowman's help. And what I know about MACV SOG and commandos and special forces in Vietnam and 727s and the special tests and everything that was going on um, is 
pretty much attributable to Snowman. And it's clear to me that if D.B. Cooper wasn't a commando, then he had relationships or contact with commando or commando-like guys, special forces, special operations, kinds of people. Could be family. He could have known where they were drinking, and he was a bartender, and he just listened with really good ears, and he was really creative on his own. It could be something as simple as that. But he had access to their information, and he had access to that brotherhood um, because his behavior was pretty slick. Yeah, that's something when you say it's a special forces guy that I really agree with because he stayed calm, cool, and collected Oh yeah, through the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And when you read other accounts of other hijackings, the copycats like Hanneman or McNally, and that information is now coming out because these guys are out of prison and they're not telling their story. The McNally, have you heard the McNally podcasts? No, I didn't oh, listen to that. Okay. All right. Um, you really see... It's fascinating. It's hard to listen to. McNally was one of the last copycats. And he's a real criminal and acknowledges that. He's really clear about being a bad boy and sticking a gun in someone's face and how how he decided to be aggressive and violent and and his his perspective on self-preservation. This is what I need to do and you're in my way and I've got the gun and you don't. And that's just how it is. You know, Cooper was vastly more sophisticated, vastly more successful. And it suggests his command of his environment was unparalleled. He was with passengers for hours. He was with Tina and the flight crew for five hours. And he kept everybody calm. He kept he kept the whole situation under control. They even said he was friendly. Friendly. He was nice. That's Tina's word. Nice. He was a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Never broke a sweat. No. It's reasonable to assume that if Cooper had extensive relationship or contacts with the special forces community to learn the information that he knew. It's also plausible that he had relationships to draw upon for support, particularly in a getaway. And there's compelling information that there were extraction teams created to get Cooper out of there. So when no one, since Cooper had a 40 hour head start before anybody was in the ground, in the woods looking for him. Not a bad head start. Not a bad head start. Trained commandos can do a lot with 40 hours. Um, and particularly, you know, so they may have had state-of-the-art communication gear and transportation and... Um, do you think they were active duty? Now now we're going down into the deeper rabbit hole. We are at a, <laughs> we are at a underground crossroads, my friend. Because if you go down that rabbit rabbit hole where they active duty, then they were either on a on an op that this was sanctioned by somebody. Right. That's a pretty deep rabbit hole. Or they were freelancing on company time, which is a pretty deep rabbit hole too. 
because the military, I don't think is all that cozy with a bunch of secretive trained operatives all taking a weekend pass to buzz out of Vietnam, go home for the weekend <laughs> and come on back Hijack to Hijack an airplane and go back know, to work. You know, and fly into Tonsonwood Airport on Sunday night, Thanksgiving weekend. You know, um, that's to do that and not attract attention. I think it's kind of hard to do because it only takes one hard ass to blow the deal. So I. It's hard to think that this was a freelance job on company time. That's my last option. It's possible, but it's my last option. I think it's more plausible that this these were So now an update to the timeline of events to include adding November 24th, 1971, D.B. Cooper, a black operation, because it's all interrelated and it's all interconnected. So soon to continue our journey as we now proceed to part seven of this series. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.